what makes somebody want to go and make this? What makes somebody want to go and make extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile and examinations into the darkest things that humanity is capable of? Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Like Huey Lewis in the news. A date which will live in infamy. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Hmm. Hmm. Hello, everybody. I'm the Cliff Podcast, episode two. How are all of you doing today? Good, I hope. Thanks to all of you who watched the uh, first episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, today we're going to be talking to my good friend, Zach Sagan, who um, was on an episode of The Dialogue. Um, we talked about um, some M. Night Shyamalan movies and the East Rail, um, what is that, East Rail 177 trilogy? I always forget. I would just call it the Unbreakable trilogy. Yeah, East Rail 177 trilogy. We talked about Unbreakable and Split and Glass, but any- anyways. So my point is, um, if, you, uh, if you're only interested in the interview... You know, you can skip ahead. The time codes are all down in the description. Um, so if you don't want to hear me talk about random shit by myself, skip to the interview. I, I will only be a little offended, but I mean, you're here, so I'm not going to be that offended. Just just a little bit. But uh, we're going to be talking about some interesting stuff. Uh, Sallow, um, a film that is uh, controversial. I don't know if those of you watching know what the film is, but uh, it's a, it is a fucked up movie. Um... And we're gonna be talking about that. Um, so it was an it's it's an interesting discussion. I hope I hope y'all enjoy it. Um, very dark. It gets very dark at uh, at times. And we're gonna be talking about you know, um, I guess evil and what it takes for a person to become truly evil. And that kind of um, corresponds with the uh, conversation involving the film um, at play. And uh, and then we. Funny enough, we talk about um, superheroes and comic book movies. Somehow, somehow it kind of worked its way into the conversation. Um, it's always an interesting discussion with Zach, I have to say. Um, we, we'll go from talking about um, Sallow and what it means to be truly evil, and then uh, Batman. So uh, it's a fun conversation that goes all over the place, but it, I like I like to, f- to think that the conversation kind of came together by the end. Um, we also talk about, um, deep conversations in general and why we tend to enjoy those kinds of discussions, um, something me and Zach have in common. So, um, it's a fun conversation. Um, so either skip ahead if you're too excited and antsy, um, watch the interview or, um, stick around, listen to me talk about, uh, shit and then, um, and then the interview will be fun. Um, but before you go, if you if you do want to skip ahead, I just want to say one, one last time, thank you to those of you who watched the first episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed. And I want to say, like, um, if there's any ways you think the podcast can improve, if you have any ideas, um, please feel free to share. does not mean I'm going to take all, the advi- all of the advice, but, I mean, I'm one person. I could use the advice. I could use the, um, the ideas or whatever. So, um, you know, suggestions are open, um, but, you know, if it's if it's a dumb suggestion or if it doesn't work for me, I, I won't take it. But maybe I will. So, 
If you've got an idea, let me know. And I make sure to um, leave some questions down in the comment section because I do want to do a Q&A section on the podcast eventually if there's anything you want to know um, for whatever reason. Like, just movie questions, whatever the fuck. I don't, I don't care. Um, it might be fun. Um, I have a Waffles commentary out on my short film that I made in 2019. Um, yeah, so go watch that. That's a good time. And uh, subscribe. That would mean a lot. I feel like I'm holding my breath because every time I exhale, it's like it's like blows on the fucking mic. These mics are very sensitive, so I'm still learning because uh, there's some troubles with the interviews being too far away from the microphone, and I think now I'm overcompensating and getting too close. So I'm still learning the setup here. Um, yeah, and uh, lastly, um, Patreon. If you're interested, if you if you like this podcast, if you like this channel enough, consider supporting the channel. Consider supporting me as a filmmaker, um, because you're um, you're not just paying paying me for you know for to get podcasts and films early, which are perks. You're also just supporting me as a as a artiste, as a creator, as a filmmaker, as a podcaster, whatever you consider me. Um, so just know that um, credit you get credited in all of my work. Um, there's three tiers. There's a there is a um, three dollar tier, tier, a five dollar tier, and a ten dollar tier. Um, three dollar tier is the general support tier. You get the podcast early, um, day early, and uh, five dollars is for people who want the podcasts and my films early. And eventually, part of the show is going to become exclusive. So uh, you might want to join the five dollar tier. And eventually, I also want to do live streams. For the five dollar people um but if you can only afford three dollars do it i'd appreciate it very much if you can't no worries it's no pressure but um it might um it would support me i would it'd be much appreciated and there are fun benefits that come with it so now if you want to skip ahead go to the interview feel free but uh otherwise you can stay here and listen to me talk about more shit that you probably don't really care about um yeah i wish i could have gotten this podcast out a little bit earlier um, I actually filmed, um, the, uh, the Zach interview a few days, maybe even a week ago, oh, quite a, it's been a bit, and I'm filming this on the 26th of, uh, of July, and this is probably not going to be out until August, so I'm going on vacation this next week. It's been kind of a busy, uh, a busy time. Um, this next week I'm going to be, uh, hopefully shooting a short film, um, that I'm keeping very under wraps, um, if, if, um, if it ends up not happening, that'll be awkward. I'll have to cut this out. But if it's in the episode, then assume it all went well and, and it all, I finished it and, um, just assume the best if you're hearing this right now. And I'm also going to be proposing, we're going on vacation, me and Sydney, um, my girlfriend, we're going on vacation. We're going to the beach and, um, it's going to be an eventful beach trip. Going to be hopefully getting engaged and making a movie. So, if either of these two things are cut, then um, they probably didn't go very well. But if they made it, then you know. She said yes, and the movie was made. The only thing that I would assume to prevent either of those two things from happening is like a tsunami. But, I mean, there's always a chance she could say no. And um, maybe the tsunami could come later, like just as I yell action, and then just kill me um, immediately. Um, you know, if she said no... The tsunami would probably be welcomed. Um, so it's going to be an interesting week. Um, hopefully it all goes well. Wish me luck, even though if you are listening to this, 
This is all in the past. So I'm basically just talking to myself right now. I would like to film these more like currently, not so much in the past where I feel like by the time it's out, everything I'm saying is fucking irrelevant. So eventually I'm going to record the interviews and the intros and the outros on the same day and release them hopefully like in a couple days, but I'm still figuring this shit out. So we're going to, we're going to make it work. We're going to make it work. Let me have a sip of my coffee. sip of my coffee at 5 p.m. Anyway, and one last thing before I move on to kind of the main topic, I guess, of this um, intro thing here. Um, I've got a film recommendation, and I want to be, I want to do this more often where I just kind of randomly recommend a film at the beginning of each episode um, and a podcast at the end of each episode. Um, so obviously we'll save the podcast for later, but I want to recommend a film. I had an, I had a, a film that I wanted to recommend, um, but I think I'm going to choose something a little bit more, much more obscure. Um, it's a, it's a YouTube movie, actually. Um, some of you listening might not know, but there is a, a movement of sorts, um, called folk filmmaking and there's, you know, there's other names for it. You, you could call it truly independent film or whatever. And essentially it's just, um, films made for a actual no budget um you see people use the term indie filmmaking a lot and you know movies are still made for hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars so i guess this this is more of a encapsulation of what it's like to actually make movies with like no money whatsoever something that i've done in the past um with my films um on the rc films channel so we've um been welcome into this um into this um movement of sorts and this community and all these nice people. Um, and so there's been some cool movies that I found through it. Um, and the most recent one I found was, uh, something, oh, and I want to say too, before, before I say what movie it is, there, there is disagreements on what folk filmmaking truly is. I think there's, there's disagreements on, um, the distribution of it and, you know, asking for money versus releasing for free. But I I mean, I'm not even going to get involved. So it's, it's just, this is just a movie I like. I didn't really mean to like comment on folk filmmaking as a community. I just kind of wanted to introduce it to people who didn't know what it was. Um, but anyway, we'll talk about the movie. There's these cool guys called Doomed Productions, and I'll link the channel down in the description. And uh, the movie that I watched recently is called See You Soon. Um, and it is um, it is a film about movie theaters. It's kind of like a documentary. And I would maybe put it in a... Hold on, let me breathe. I'd probably put it in like a um, an experimental category of sorts. I mean, it's not like overly experimental. It's not like paint drying, for instance. But um, it's it's very meditative, I suppose. Um, it's just these two guys, Ethan and Jordan, and they uh, just kind of go around their town and they believe I believe they live in Portland, and they just um, talk about uh, movie theaters in their town that they've always um, loved going to. And um, how that's obviously been changed since um, COVID and everything's been shut down and stuff. So it's kind of a um, relaxed, meditative, experimental um, time capsule documentary. Um, And I found it very relatable and very um, beautiful. I found it very beautiful and um, inspiring. It was um, it was it was fun sharing the love 
I have for movie theaters with these guys. That's because that's kind of how it feels because it has a very like relaxed hangout vibe with um, in the film. So it was nice sharing that love because I'm somebody who loves movie theaters and loves the the movie going experience. And um, and I'm not gonna lie, like I haven't really missed it that much because I've just still been going to the movies during the pandemic. I, I would I went to a bunch of theaters out of state and stuff. Um, and I never really stopped. I mean, I, I obviously I obviously went way less, but I was still going, and COVID never really stopped me. But regardless, um, it's a, it was a very beautiful reminder why the movie-going experience is so much fun, and, and it felt very nostalgic in that way. Kind of gave you butterflies a little bit listening to some of their stories, and and it, it was a very good time. I enjoyed it very much. And I found it inspiring. It kind of cooked up some ideas that I had that I've that I had in the back of my mind that I'm excited to kind of uh, maybe do in the future. So, yeah, they uh, see you soon. It's a time capsule documentary. I'll link it down in the description. It's a good time if you love movie theaters and you and you cherish the experience like I do. I think um, I think you might find some find something find something in the film. So go check it out and uh, subscribe to their channel. They make a lot of movies. There's a lot more movies on their channel as well. So, yeah. So that's my film recommendation for today. And now, I just want to talk about, uh, I guess, Marvel movies. Um, because I don't really, to be honest, like have a strict plan today. Um, I do want to talk about something maybe in the next episode that's a little bit more disciplined and articulated more thought thoughtfully. Um, a little bit darker of a conversation. It's actually a book that I want to talk about, but I want to make sure I... I, I'm going to actually kind of type out some stuff so I kind of say everything that I feel like I want to say and have to say on the film or on the book. Um, so there's going to be kind of this mix of just winging it and having some fun like we are going to do today and then some some times where like maybe in the next episode where I'm going to be talking about a book or something and it's a little bit more articulate but maybe more fascinating and a little bit more meaty, the discussion. So yeah, it's about finding the balance, you know, there's two sides um, of everything, so we're gonna find the balance, and hopefully someday they'll kind of coexist together. I think I just spit all over my mic. Um, so, yeah, today we're just winging it. We're gonna be talking about some Marvel movies. I don't, and not necessarily just Marvel movies. I don't think I was just kind of having an interesting discussion recently um, with some people about like you know obviously how 2021 has been a weird year for movies, and 2020 especially. Um, so I was kind of it kind of made me think about some of the movies that were coming out this year. Um, and, and, and like, uh, which ones were my favorite and obviously the year isn't over yet. Um, so there's, there's quite a, quite a bit more movies that are going to be coming out. Um, and you know what, when I look at last year, I'm looking here at my favorite films of the year. It ended up being a pretty, pretty okay year. Um, by the end of it, I mean, like all things considered, I mean like another round and the gentleman, those are two movies. I love Mr. Jones is a film that I love. Um, I, I mean, I put a comedy comedy special in here, but, uh, it is what it is, you know, I mean, we made it work, it was an okay year by the time it was over, this year has been a little bit rougher, I would say, um, I don't really have a, um, favorite film of 2021 yet, um, not one that I just, that just sticks out to me, um, the most, um, I really liked a film called Malcolm and Mari that was on Netflix, I think I'm kind of in the minority on that one, not a lot of people seem to like that movie, but I really connected with it, and what it had to say about, you know, filmmaking, creativity, and, and, and relationships, and how those co- coincide, I guess, um, is that a word, coincide, fuck it, we're gonna use it, um, 
so I like I'm, I like Malcolm and Mari. Um, it's I can't say it's like oh man, this is the best movie I've seen in years, but it's it's the one I think about a lot. Um, and then there's See You Soon, like I said, like I already recommended. Um, on Letterbox, that's that's one of my favorites. That's that's one that I think about a lot and really inspired me as a filmmaker. Filmmaker, um, the most I would say, really got really got gave me butterflies. That movie, go check it out. Really gave me butterflies. Um. And then I would say the closest thing to my favorite movie that's come out this year, it's not even a movie. It's Loki that I that I uh, finished recently um, on Disney+. And, uh, man, I really liked Loki. And um, I thought this would kind of make it for an interesting discussion about um, about the Marvel shows that have come out this year and, uh, and the, um, the one film, Black Widow. Um, cause I just watched Black Widow also. Um, yeah, I, uh, Marvel's been inter- inter- interesting the le- in the last year to say the least. Um, you had, a uh, you had WandaVision, which, um, I did not like. Um, I think WandaVision had the potential to be one of the best things in the MCU, one of the most unique things in the MCU, and unfortunately became one of the worst and one of the more generic things in the MCU. So, that flip is just very saddening to to um to watch um happen before your eyes because it is kind of this slow gradual just shift um it started out so strong WandaVision did and there were red flags throughout the entire series and then by that final episode oh man that final episode happens and it just completely just does a 180 and it's so unfortunate because it could have been great um so I did not like WandaVision performances were really good in it um the Ralph Boner reveal is possibly the most egregious thing the MCU has ever done. I cannot believe they did that. I just don't understand why you would... I mean, I guess spoilers for these Marvel shows and and Black Widow. I just cannot believe teasing an audience like that and then just pulling the rug out from underneath them with the Ralph Boner situation. And then you had Falcon in the Winter Soldier, which um, I had the least... I want to say I had the least, um, the lowest of expectations for maybe out of all of them. I wasn't super excited for WandaVision. Um, I was actually most excited for Loki. Um, but Falcon and the Winter Soldier looked like it was going to be the most generic. Like, okay, well, we, you know what to expect on this one. And was it generic? I wouldn't say it's generic, but it was kind of everything I expected it to be. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It was a good spy, you know, Civil War-esque um, show that was, um, had some, had some good moments. It's particular two, two really good episodes in the middle. I think it's three and four, I want to say. Yeah, three and four. That's what I was saying in my review. Episodes three and four, and they're, they are, um, written by Derek Kolstad, Kolstad. It's, he's, it's the writer of, um, of, um, I believe the John Wick films. I believe he wrote the John Wick films. I, you can feel his touch. You can feel his touch on the uh, on those two episodes. It's 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 a there's just something about it's not it's not like a huge difference. It's not like crazy things happen in um in those two episodes. It's just the way it's written and the way it's structured, the way the story plays out, and it also has this like tone, this um very specific tone that um that completely trumps the rest of the season. Um, and I think, uh, 
John Walker's character and Zemo as as a character, they get they get um more attention in those episodes. Um, their characters are explored um, um, more in those two episodes, and they really shine. And um, and there's there's some humor, but there's also some like more spy esque stuff. So it's like the perfect balance in those two episodes. And you know, is every other episode is it bad? No, but I mean, it falls into the more like okay generic side, you know. Whereas those two episodes stand out to me, um, they stand out to me more so than the others. Um, so because of those two episodes, I look at the show pretty positively. Um, I think I think it could have been a, I think it could have been longer. Um, I think it felt very rushed, especially the last episode. That same issue with Falcon and the Winter Soldier and WandaVision is the last episode just feels extremely rushed. Um, and that's unfortunate, but there are more moments in Falcon and the Winter Soldier that shine through. And um, the story is smaller, so I'm more forgiving of maybe its lack of importance in like the grander scheme of the MCU, I suppose. Not every show has to, not every movie or show has to play into the universe, but it's not so much to ask for some for a piece of art to justify why it exists, especially when it is a part of a grander scale. And I feel like the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is small scaled in its in its um in its story and and it's a little bit more subtle and I liked that. So it's I guess maybe I'm a little bit more forgiving. Um, and yeah, like. I really like all the acting in Falcon the Winter Soldier. Daniel Brühl and um, and uh, Wyatt Russell, I loved. Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie are fantastic as well. So it was a pretty good show. Middle of the road, maybe. Um, slightly forgettable, but interesting and enjoyable enough to I could see maybe revisiting it sometime. And if there was a sequel, I would watch it. So uh, I liked it better than WandaVision. And then you have... Loki, which I which I loved Loki. I loved Loki a lot. I loved its style specifically. Um, it really used the multiverse stuff to play into its style, uh, with the um, with the logo. I loved the way they they did they used the logo and the music, especially. It's very mystical, and the set design. I would say all around Loki is a very strong strong um, strong show. Um, it it was funny because it feels as though at any moment it's gonna kind of fall off off its rails a little bit because um there were there was fear there after watching WandaVision that it was going to completely derail at some point and it just it wobbles around the whole show and there's like times where I'm like mm, not really sure if I like this and then by the end it just fucking stumbles through the finish line and oh man so so goddamn relieved because I I I really liked the last episode even though there were so many choices that I was like, I would have done that differently. I would have done that differently. It's one of those instances where the show does exactly the opposite of what you want constantly, but for some reason you're okay. Like the choices are just good enough to keep you on board. Just good enough. Um, it kind of feels, I think I, I think somebody at my work might have compared it to like a Ryan Johnson script where it feels like, like I think people say Ryan Johnson with the last Jedi kind of subverted your expectations unnecessarily and it's kind of a same similar situation with Loki where um it was unnecessarily um trying to surprise you constantly and do the exact opposite of what you expected it to do but all of like I said all of their decisions and plot twists if you want to call it plot twists worked 
just enough. Just enough. I loved the um, incorporation of Owen Wilson. Tom Hiddleston is fucking fabulous. Um, fantastic actor. Fantastic actor. And um, really loved him and Owen Wilson together. And the girl, what's her name? Sophia? Sophia? Yeah, Sophia. The girl who plays female Loki. I liked her. She was good, too. Um, yeah. But Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson steals the show, man. Owen Wilson steals the show. My favorite bit of the sh- in the in the show, and this is a spoiler, so if you don't want to know, was definitely the the last episode when um right after she kills the um whatever his dude is the uh, the bad guy um uh, Loki goes back to the um, TVA and talks to Owen Wilson, expecting you know him to be like, oh, how are you, or whatever, and, and Owen Wilson doesn't know who he is, so it's, like, revealed that he's in another, um, he's in another, uh, universe, I, I don't, forgive me, I'm an idiot, I don't really know anything about anything, so, but, I, you know what I mean, if you've seen the show, that was a cool part, I liked that part a lot, and all of those scenes in, in that library were just, like, cozy, the show can be very cozy at times, I just really like the set design and everything, and, it was great. It was great. I, I pretty much loved everything about it. Um, so relieved that I liked it. So relieved. And you know what? Give me season two. Give me season two. I'll watch it. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's what I think about the shows. Black Widow. Um, yeah, Black Widow. I didn't really like Black Widow that much. Um, it's unfortunate because it almost, I was almost excited for it. Um, even after however long that it was, um, supposed to come out, you know, being pushed back and everything. And I was actually kind of excited for it by the time it came out, and yeah, I didn't really like it. I felt like it was um very middle of the road, and it was everything I feared it it would be. You know, with um with a Black Widow movie coming out in 2021. You know, post Endgame, her being dead. Like obviously, everybody was saying the same shit. Like why now? And it was everything that I hoped it wouldn't it wouldn't be with the um feeling um you know past its time, I suppose um had its moments I, I feel I don't even really f- feel joy talking about Black Widow because I have all the generic opinions you know oh it's uh it was released too late oh Florence Pugh is the best part of the movie like everybody and their goddamn uncle is saying that so it's kind of boring for me to talk about I don't really have anything new um has its moments I like the first half more than the second half um but it doesn't really demand much of a conversation like even, say, WandaVision does. Because WandaVision, I can more so point to where I think it kind of failed. Um, So I would say ranking those, definitely Loki number one, Falcon of the Winter Soldier two, Black Widow, and then uh, WandaVision, because WandaVision, I feel like, is just honestly pretty bad by the end, whereas Black Widow, I think, is just kind of unfortunately generic. Um, But Loki, Loki's great. So... Yeah, I don't know, I just rambled there for about 30 fucking however long minutes. Um, hope that was an interesting discussion about some Marvel movies that came out this year and some shows, and yeah, I mean, I guess that's all I have to say. I just kind of felt like talking about some 2021 shows and movies, and specifically the Marvel movies, and um, you know, could be talking about some other shit that came out this year, but maybe we'll save that for next time, or maybe we'll just wait till the end of the year. I've got, there's a lot of movies I'm still excited for, so I... I have confidence that, um, this will still be a strong year, um, by the end of it. We'll see. Um, 
Oh, man, I've got so many movies that I'm excited for, surprisingly, surprisingly. So it feels good. It feels good to be excited for movies again. Um, fortunately, not very excited for the Marvel movies coming up, except for Spider-Man 3, which still waiting on that trailer. Um, maybe it'll come out before this is released and it'll look like a fool. That'd be cool. Um, but uh, yeah, so what are some stuff you're excited for? What do you think about the Marvel movies and the shows? What Like, what's your favorite one of the year so far? What, what's your favorite movie of the year? Um, do you think this is a good year in movies? I don't know. I think so far it's pretty rough, but I think it'll finish strong. I think so. So, okay. Well, I guess we'll move on. Um, didn't expect to talk that long. Um, I'm at 34 minutes raw, but um, maybe I'll cut this shit down. Hmm. All right. We're going to have Zach Sagan on very shortly as I look at my phone. Um, you might recognize him from his acting roles in some of the RC Films pictures of the past, including Living with Trevor, where he played Joe, my character's best friend in, in Vine Avenue, my own short film, where he played a character named Dusty, which is funny enough, also the best friend of the main character. So he's good at playing best friends, apparently. Um, Zach is an actor, like I said, but he's also a, a writer and a filmmaker with big aspirations and big ideas, but he's a friend first. He's one of the few people whom I still have contact with um, from high school, funny enough. I think that's kind of interesting. One of, the, one of the few, like I think I've got like three or four people who I still talk to, maybe three, um, Zach being one of them. I, I, I love Zach for the way his mind works, and I admire his willingness to become un unapologetically philosophical when conversing. Um, I sometimes wish other people could do what Zach does in that way and think in more extravagant ways and so fearlessly. Uh, Zach moved to Arizona for some time, um, but recently came back to Yakima and was immediately placed back into the fold where, uh, here, cr creatively speaking, and um, while the uh, Yakima filmmaking crew has kind of changed and evolved for better or worse over the last year, I, I know Zach is still full of passion and full of thoughts and ideas. He's a he's an avid movie collector, um, and he's endlessly knowledgeable about films, music, and books, especially when you consider his age. Um, but he's also very fun to talk to about things like history. Um, the conversation never ceases to be interesting with Zach, and I hope you feel the same about the one we're about to have. Mr. Zach Sagan. Mr. Gage Clift. How's it going? What's your favorite movie? Wow, you were just okay, <laughs> we're just we're just going yeah. off like that. Um God, that is that is a deep question. I don't I mean it varies. And and you've always known that with me. It it varies almost almost from day to day. Um but I'd say one of the ones I keep going back to and I don't know, maybe maybe this I don't I don't think this will surprise you is probably heat. Oh well, it does. It doesn't surprise me, but I didn't know that was actually your favorite movie. Well, I don't know if it's like my favorite favorite, but it's one that's like you know, like you know, like how people have like you know, like the I think they're called like the desert desert island bands. You, you, you ever heard that saying? Describe it to me. So like, okay, so the concept is if you were stranded on a desert island for the rest of your life, and you could only choose a specific number of like music or bands or albums or movies to watch for the rest of your life like that, that's the selection you have 
to last you the rest of your life, what are you choosing? Okay. And I would say, yeah, Michael Mancy is probably one of the ones that would be on that list. So if you were on a desert island, mm-hmm. deserted island, desert sorry, island, deserted yeah. island, um, desert island, desert island, sounds awesome. Heat would be your choice. It would be one of them. I, I, if if it had to be one, like one overall film, that would probably, yeah, I would think that would probably be it. What I, is it about Heat that you connect with? Um, I think, and uh, this might just be this this the way it is with with Michael Mann's films is um, the meticulous level of detail that is in his films. Um, mm. Like whenever we see. Um, the heist go down in in heat and as well as his first film thief you don't just like okay we see like you know them conducting the heist and then that's it like we see them go through every level every detail of what whatever it is that they're going to do in the highest to a meticulous level and there's just it's something about the way it's written the um the dichotomy between um Al Pacino's uh, Vincent Hanna and uh, mm-hmm. Robert De Niro, Robert De Niro's uh, Neil Macaulay and their whole relationship, and you know, obviously Macaulay being um, a bank robber and Hanna being a, a police detective. And I, I'm going to say hands down, the uh, shootout that happens halfway through the film is one of the best shootouts in film history. I, mm-hmm. I will say that hands down. Um, uh, if I remember right. I, I don't know if this is still the case, but I remember hearing that the level of of detail in that and the the, the level of realism that man stuck to with that to where um, you see both sides, you know, exchanging gunfire and then that's and then at one point stopping and reloading. Mm-hmm. They actually if I remember it showed that I love that to Marines in training. Wow! Because that is the proper way to reload and handle okay. a weapon of that caliber. Yeah, that that's um, that's always annoying when you watch movies. Yeah. And they're just endlessly shooting without reloading. Yeah, I, and, I've I've always liked that that just that little detail of having um Val Kilmer's uh, character when when he's shooting. And then he he ducks down behind the car and he he takes the magazine out and puts a new one in and and you know reloads yeah. and is ready to go. That is a very heavy scene. It is a very very heavy scene. It's very a very intense scene too mm-hmm. because it literally feels like you were in the thick of it. Yeah. With them. I won't I won't pretend like Heat is like one of my favorite movies, mm-hmm. but watching it, it is undeniable how how many films that is inspired since. Oh yeah. Nolan. The, um, the, yeah, obviously, the Dark Knight. The Dark yeah. Knight. I I watched um, Guy Ritchie's new movie, Wrath of Man. Have I, still you, need, I still need to see it. Yeah, heavily inspired by Heat, I would say. Really. Um, tonally and um, obviously the plot, is, you know, kind of about like uh, heists and uh, truck heists, heists, you know, stuff yeah. like that. So, um, yeah, that's undeniable. Uh, I I still need to watch Collateral again because I, I watched it years ago when I was young and I didn't really didn't really connect with it. Do you like that movie? I that is. Also, one of my favorite of of man's films. I think mostly because I've never really seen Tom Cruise play a villain mm-hmm. before. Well, and, Tropic Thunder, but well, well, tr- well Tropic <laughs> Thunder. That, that's that's a bit of a different story yeah. there, though. Um, 
as his character Vincent in Collateral. Like he he completely disappears into that character, and mm. it's it, he's almost unrecognizable. And his whole his back and forth between him and Jamie Foxx is one of the best parts of that movie. And if I remember, I think it was the first film Man Shot Digital. I think I think that was mm. that was the that was kind of the, the jumping point on that point. Because I think it came out in like two thousand five, I believe. So kind of around that point where people were kind of starting to that was jump after, into after Heat. That Heat was in ninety five, so 95. that was that was about yeah about a good decade later. Um, hmm. Okay. Yeah. I I I expect to at least appreciate that movie on on a rewatch because I was just yeah. too young when I watched it. Yeah. It's um. I don't, I don't know what it is about Michael Mann. There's just something about his films. At least, I, granted, I haven't seen all of them. And there's even a couple of his I'm not a huge fan of. Mm. But of the ones that um, I do like have inspired me uh, and still inspire me to this day. Um, you got to show me Thief someday. You, I, I, I honestly think you're gonna you're gonna love Thief. Yeah, Thief is a is in a league of its own. Before we uh, move on, can you do your um, your best impression of uh, Al-, Al Pacino saying she's got a great ass? <laughs> um, you know, honestly, I don't know if I can do it. I, I you re- can't do it justice. <laughs> I, I can't do it justice. I mean, maybe Kyle can can be the closest to do it. It's just that yeah. he has such a raspy voice. Yeah, in that, that movie, that's the best part of that movie. It's it's. I remember Kyle laughing, dying mm. out loud when that sequence happened. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. I, I'm 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 gonna pass because I I don't want to uh, bring any shame to the name of Al Pacino. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. any any shame to Heat. Okay. So. Yeah, I understand. Uh, okay, so um. Heat. Okay. Uh, yeah. So w- one thing, one thing that I think um, you and I mm. have in common, and I think it's why we enjoy conversing, yeah. is w- we we like to um, we like to cut the bull cut through the bullshit when it comes to conversation. I agree. Um, I don't think either of us are very fond of the typical "How are you? What's that wonderful weather we're having?" kind of. Uh, discussion we like the, to just the small talk the small talk we like to just jump right into it um because yeah. i mean who cares who cares like no you don't care you don't care what i've been doing today you don't care what the weather what weather we're having well i mean i i do care what you've been doing today cause well you're one of my friends well but, yes yeah. you know what i mean though but like you know strangers like i don't want to i don't want to talk to strangers about so no like typical like not to cut you off but like no typical like water cooler like type conversation yeah 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 i don't want to know what you had for breakfast this morning. I want to know mm. what you think the meaning of life is. Um, yeah. So, so my question is, why do you think you have a, this tendency okay. to carry the discussion deeper? I kind of want to dissect this a little bit before we move on. Um, you know, that's, that's an interesting thing. I, I've been kind of thinking about that recently as well. Um, I think it's, it's a way of me getting to know people as well. Like, especially like, um, when um, I'm first getting to know somebody, like you, you remember, like when when I first moved back, and um, it was kind of like one of the first like real sit downs we all had together, mm-hmm. and like we just just randomly started like going on to this huge like I think it was like almost like a two two and a half hour long conversation about God and the universe and oh like, yeah the meaning of life and all that. I think it's just it's it's kind of. 
I don't know if it's subconsciously my way of, you know, picking people's brains and kind of understanding their viewpoints on things. But I think it's also me just wanting to learn more, um, understanding different viewpoints and, you know, I I guess expanding my horizons on uh, different ideas and different concepts. Plus, also, I I think those conversations are just more interesting. Mm -hmm. I think they're more interesting to have. I've noticed... um, it's even transcended to the the types of films I, I've watched in the past few years. A lot of the films I've I've watched um, and that have become some of my favorites are more cerebral, are, are more films that tend to tackle these these bigger concepts and the, these deep and meaningful ideas and themes, and that kind of make you kind of sit with it and they kind of make you contemplate it. So more metaphorical. Yeah, I, I would I would say some are more metaphorical, some are more literal. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of one that would be like a good example. Um, this one, you know, I, we're not going to delve. I don't think we should delve too deep into this one because this one's, you know, if if we delve deep into this one, this, <laughs> we're this, never this, getting now. <laughs> this is a whole whole another can of worms here. Got it. Okay. Um, Todd Phillips Joker. Oh, okay. See, some people just rolled their eyes when you said that but because I, I can but that. i i agree i agree with you i feel like it is a it is a deep conversation some people mm-hmm. some people look at joker as a, as though it's a something shallow posing as something deep but i, I actually think it it is it's actually deeper than people give it credit for personally yeah i i think it is um i think it's a very it's a very challenging movie it's not a film well, I, I think for those that have have seen Joker, know, know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, and especially knowing what it what it was based off of, knowing you know it's based off of heavily inspired by you know Scorsese's Taxi Driver and King of Comedy, that um, it's not an easy it's not an easy film to watch. It's not like a typical I guess I guess quote unquote superhero movie or in that genre. Yeah, yeah I, I agree because I've only seen it one time, and and I haven't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want to watch it again, but I'm not rushing to because it is kind of a. It's a deep film. It's a it's a, it's a it's little bit it's film. it's a little demanding too for yeah. a for a comic book movie. It's a pretty demanding watch. It is, and it's it's not an easy watch. It's it. I I would say it it is an accurate description to call it a disturbing movie because of the obviously the film tackling mental illness and um, how society views. Um, and deals with mental illness, mm-hmm. um, and you know Todd Phillips didn't doesn't really handle that in a very, um, I would say, and th- this isn't me like griping against the movie, um, in a very subtle way. It, it kind of throws it in your face because it has to. It has to kind of yes. throw it to you to really kind of put you in the shoes of Arthur Fleck and to really understand his viewpoint. Specifically, the scene towards the end when it's on the uh, live television and he basically just kind of says the point of the movie in a sense, which um, is kind yeah. of my least favorite part. But I understand, like, at the end of the day, I think it is a comic book movie, so he kind of just had to be like, you know, all right, yeah. enough with the subtlety. Here's what I have to say. Yeah, I mean, it, but it, it does a good job of walking that line between mm-hmm. being like, okay, obviously this is a, a DC Comics film. This is a a, um, a superhero, I guess a quote-unquote superhero genre film, but mm-hmm. also at the same time it, it is a crime genre, a crime genre, drama, character study piece about, you know, 
a man that has um, been dealt a, a very um, a very shit hand in life, mm-hmm. and um, he's just kind of reached his breaking point. What I would say about the Joker is. Sorry. See, you did. You opened a whole new can of worms here, I, man. Yeah. So uh, the thing I like about Joker is it is a drama, crime, mm. thriller movie yeah. before it's a DC comic book movie. Yeah. And I would compare it to something like Logan. I, I like Logan as a movie. That's a, that's a good comparison, yeah. But I would say Logan is the reverse, which is why I don't love Logan as much as something like Joker. Mm. Because Logan, in my view at the end of the day was an X-Men movie before it was an action western drama. You and I have, have, have two varying yes. uh, different viewpoints so, on Logan. Right? So I don't know why I felt the need to make that comparison, but I, I feel like it was th- both movies, Joker, Logan, were, you know, were both marketed like, okay, comic book movie second. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Joker really succeeded in, in actually... Um, doing that so well and it's also it, it's interesting that you bring that up because um obviously you know both of those movies did very well mm-hmm. um you know uh, joker i don't think anybody expected it to do as well as it did if i remember right, right. i mean it it crossed you know the the big one billion at the box office right. i remember that and um you know it's but the potential for us seeing more films like that i, I think are there and i think potentially next year we're about to see it again in, in matt reeves the batman yeah um, yeah. Obviously, you know, just just from that first teaser, and I, I really hope to God uh, we get a a new trailer soon. I'm kind of I'm kind of chomping at the bit for a new one. Yeah. Um, it I, very much feels like um, like a noir detective story first before a Batman film. Exactly. It, it feels, um, and I think I even said this to you when we when you know DC Fandom dropped and and that trailer dropped. Um. It feels very much like Fincher Seven, mm-hmm. and um, I don't remember. Ha- have you seen Seven? Yet? I have seen Seven. Okay. Yeah. It it feels very much in that in that same vein, and mm-hmm. it, it feels even just down to, um, I would say it, it even looks like it has a similar color palette to Seven. Yeah, I I think that is the um, with these newer comic book movies, I think that is the um the thing that they should set out to do comic book movie second and some people wouldn't won't like that but in yeah. my view that's what's going to save the uh the genre from so-called uh what's what do they say like uh people getting tired of them or people getting bored of it bored yeah. of it there's fatigue the, yeah comic fatigue. book fatigue comic i think that fatigue, yeah. i think that's what's going to save save that from happening um and i think I, you see a lot of like black widow for instance which i just watched I haven't seen it yet. I think uh, it's that's it's another instance of okay, it's trying to be a spy, Jason Bourne okay. type movie, mm-hmm. but then it just becomes a comic book movie, like a Marvel movie, um, first and foremost towards the end. Unfortunately, which is why, you know, when a when a movie promises that it's going to be one thing and then reverses and then just becomes the same generic thing that you thought it was going to be yeah which is kind of my issue with black widow and i love comic book movies so i don't have a problem with with um you know being a comic book movie like i i I love comic book movies however 
I like it when there's more layers to it, I suppose. Okay. I guess that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, Black Widow was another instance of, like, okay, well, um, we're just doing the same old thing. Which, you know, I'll, you know I, I think you might see this coming. So okay. I'm just going to get on a little bit of a soapbox here for a second. Okay. Um, I think that's part of the reason why um, I love Chronicle so much mm-hmm. is because um, I, I think it came at the right time. Um I think that you know it, it, it took two genres that people were kind of somewhat starting to get that fatigue. One in particular, the found footage genre, you know, with the paranormal activity movies coming out, mm. everything, every other found footage movie that came out before that, you know, people started getting fatigue on that, and you know, it combined those two genres into one film, and I think it handled it very, very well. I think that it. Um, it did something very unique that still hasn't been replicated and i don't know if it can be replicated and i still think you know and you know i've said this many many times throughout the years since i think we first had conversations about it i still think it's 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 a shame that we didn't get more uh not just not just like a like potential like a sequel or sequels to chronicle but uh more films like that mm-hmm because uh, it, it was doing some interesting stuff, and it, despite you know obviously the the superpower angle that the 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 three characters have, it's still very much grounded in reality. Okay. As you know, there's no real like superhero names. There's no costumes or anything like that. You know, every choice, every action that they do has consequences, and those consequences yeah. lead to other consequences. The superhero element is is secondary as opposed to at the forefront. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's it's an interesting thing that, you know, which I think is... <laughs> got to turn my fucking phone down, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead and listen. Um, it's, it's unfortunate what happened with uh, Trank's Fantastic Four, which is, again, you know, I'm, I'm going to veer off that a little bit because that's a whole other can of worms yeah, there, yeah, too. Yeah. Um, which, you know, the th- there's a lot of thematic uh, carryovers from, from Chronicle to that movie in the sense that, like, in real life... Being a superhero and having superpowers would probably suck. It probably wouldn't be a good thing. I mean, just because I'm, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna delve into like the ending of Chronicle here for a second. Okay. I mean, spoiler alert. Yeah. But also at the same time, come next year the movie will be a decade old. So. Mm, yeah. Um, of the three characters, two of them end up dying, and one of them is probably gonna end up being on the run for the rest of his life. Yeah. Not so a happy ending. It's not. It's very much not a happy ending at all. But it's also very beautiful at the same time. I it remember. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to slowly bring it back. Yeah. Let's, let's, we can go back to Joker for a second. Joker mm-hmm. was what you brought up first. Yeah. Um, you made the connection that it it inspires a deeper conversation. It does inspire a deeper conversation, and it's. I think the theme, I think, yeah, sorry to interrupt you. I I apologize. I think the theme here is like the reason why we went on this tangent Mm -hmm. is because superhero movies, comic book movies, are also sometimes an example of being very straightforward, very cookie cutter, similar to like the conversations we avoid. And we like comic book movies with, with deeper elements that inspire a deep conversation, not just a surface level one. Well, I think that that somewhat is the case. I also think it, it really honestly just depends on how the film was handled. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously those characters, um, a lot of those characters are really metaphors for different things. I mean, the X-Men can really be um, metaphors for any, you know, 
not to get political or anything, but any like minority group that's been uh, victimized, mm-hmm. you know, you can, you know, obviously, you know, it, it came at the when Jack Kirby and Stanley made those characters. It came at the time in the '60s, at the height of the civil rights movement. You know, where mm-hmm. Xavier's supposed to really be like a stand-in for Martin Luther King Jr. and Magneto's kind of meant to be a stand-in for Malcolm X. It's kind of why in a lot of the X-Men movies they kind of integrate the Holocaust also as like a metaphor. Yeah, as as kind of like a, a metaphor for what what's happened, and it you know you know for what could happen to them, mm-hmm. uh, to mutants, and you know, obviously, um, Days of Future Past kind of touching on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. The X Men film Days of Future Past, but also deepening um, the character of Magneto's resolve and his ideals, and like you know him having t- experienced firsthand as a child the worst that humanity had to offer and you know that's kind of what sets him on his journey yeah i think uh the thing i love about joker what i think it has to say at the end of the day is that um the way society treats society treats these uh these um these people who are either mentally ill or Mm -hmm. undereducated etc yeah um treating them extremely poorly because of that only radicalizes them further yeah i mean i I can i can see that and plus you know there's a whole other thing about you know obviously you know for those that have seen the film and uh, i guess a slight spoiler for those that haven't um through arthur fleck's actions and choices there's kind of this whole um radicalization throughout gotham of people kind of you know you know, toward the end of the movie, you know, the riots that end up happening and, you know, you know, obviously, you know, people kind of going behind what um, he had done. And, you know, he had un- unintentionally started a movement toward, you know, obviously, I, I guess what could be described as class warfare, mm. you know, because, you know, what-, what happens between him and, you know, on the train and the, uh, I guess, the-, the yuppies would be yeah. kind of the, yeah, the- it's the very comparison. It's politically, you could look at it through many different lenses, which mm-hmm. is kind of why I like Joker. I don't think, I think I've seen some people chalk it up to being more of a right-leaning movie, and I mean, I think you could kind of look at it anyway. It, it's 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 actually a pretty strong argument for anarchy. I think you could make the argument for that. Um, I see it more as in the middle. Um, it, yeah, it's very. I think to to a lot of things, it's it's very neutral. It's very like it's obviously you know um, Todd Phillips had a, had a message and, and a theme that he was you know trying to you know bring across, and I, I think he does it pretty well and pretty beautifully. But he does it in a way that's like not kind of really shoving it down your throat, and it's really done in a way that's like okay, here's what happens, here's what we're talking about. Here's it being told through the lens of Arthur Fleck, who then ends up later becoming the Joker. Um, and you can kind of make up your own uh, opinion and your own mind about it. And, you know, this is one of those films that I, th- I think is... It, it opens up a very interesting conversation and a very necessary conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's very unique because of that. Yeah. So, in summary, 
in summary, um, I guess to, to bring it all back around. Yeah. Um, deeper conversation. I think I like having deeper conversations because um, it's it helps to kind of you know look at things in a new lens uh, and understand different viewpoints, understanding different people's viewpoints, and as we then later got into film, you know, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, film doing the same way, you know, like, you know, I'm sure that there were people that went and saw Joker and saw, um, saw Logan and saw Chronicle and were probably like, oh, I didn't look at it in that way. Or, you know, especially when it came to Joker and those issues, they're probably like, oh, that's interesting. I never looked at it from that viewpoint or they completely disagree with it or they agree with it, but it makes them think. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the reason why I like films like that and why I like having deeper conversations because it makes you think. It makes you think outside the box. Okay. Um, I feel like this is a conversation, surprisingly, that mm. could go on for another hour. Yeah. But if we don't move on, we will never have time we'll to talk about time. Yeah. Sallow. So. Yeah. So uh, maybe we'll continue this next time because I'm, yeah. I'm actually, I have a lot more to say involving this, this, this topic. Um, yeah. But I Me feel too. like we've 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 uh successfully scratched the surface and i like it I, I, we have successfully broken the ice yes. yes all right well to do a complete just fucking shift complete 180 all right um no segue here we're just kind of going, going into it i mean i guess there's a segue deep conversation i don't fucking know like <laughs> we're about to talk about something that inspires a, an extreme extremely deep conversation sallow sallow Pure Paolo Pasolini Salo. Yes. Um, incredible, incredible movie. Also, uh, to quote uh, Bill Hader for when he uh, mm. went to the Criterion uh, uh, Closet, this is a great date movie. Oh, yes. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful date movie. So, um, yeah, I guess if you don't know what Salo is... Um, um, God, how do we even describe this? How do you, how, how do, you do this justice and, and describe it without completely completely chasing people away? It, I mean, most of the people who are watching this have probably, if they're, because it, it might be in the title, I'm not really sure. Okay. It might be watching it specifically for Sallow. But in short, it's about, what, four fascists who kidnap teenagers and torture them for... Yeah, I, I, w I would say that. It, it's, it's really um, set, if I remember correctly... Um, in World War Two, Italy. Yes. Yeah, 1944 fascist Italy. Under Mussolini. Um, under Mussolini. And um, these four fascists um, kind of abduct this group of, you know, half-teenage boys and half-teenage girls, and they mm -hmm. take them to this uh, compound. They don't really... Nobody really knows where they are. Um, so therefore, they, they unfortunately have no form of rescue or escape really and um they can uh, without really getting into the huge depravity of the movie mm -hmm. um do whatever they want to yeah. these uh teenagers without any recourse or any consequence to them and right. well uh the film really delves into that yeah it's just it's to say, just to put it lightly it's known as one of the more disturbing movies ever made it's, um it, i think it's part of that that iceberg of like disturbing movies you know like i think people list this with like stuff like a serbian film or begotten or yeah. human centipede cannibal holocaust cannibal holocaust yeah. but it seems like it's also in its own category as well like a, a disturbing um but with purpose yeah so it, it, it is disturbing and with purpose it, 
the film itself is actually very a very deep movie, mm-hmm. and it has a lot to say. It doesn't feel like violence for the sake of violence. Um, no, not really. It all it all has purpose. Um, so yeah, what, what do you what do you find most disturbing about it? I guess. Um, or what do you take away from it? I'll answer that first one. Yeah. Um, real quick. What I find most disturbing, and this specifically happens toward the the third act of the movie, I guess, just for the sake of dramatic effect, um, the I think the sequence is called the Circle of Blood, which is like the last sequence of the movie, and uh, it comes after a sequence that you couldn't think couldn't get more disturbing, <laughs> but then uh, does, in which um, it's the most violent sequence in the movie. It's the most violent and disturbing part of the movie because of what, because of the violence that is portrayed. But the way that Pasolini um, handles the violence and the way that it is portrayed, it, it's not portrayed in the typical like, okay, you are an observer. You know, it, it, um, there's shots in 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 that sequence that make you feel like, as as this, as as fucked up as this is gonna sound that you are an active participant in in the atrocity that is being committed to these teenagers that that you are mm-hmm. an, an active party to these you know i guess you know for lack of a better word these uh the violent deaths that, that are that are carried out and the violent acts that are carried out to these teenagers and that to me is the most disturbing part cuz you know other disturbing films they don't i don't think really um, portrayed in that way I mean they're obviously putting on like you know these very disturbing and very gory and very violent sequences but it's done in a way where like you still you're still in that God's eye point of view you're still um, you're still an observer so there's still that layer there's still that barrier there's still that layer of protection right there there's not that in Salo Salo mm-hmm. and I think the more also disturbing part is that while that sequence is violent it's not like hugely gory, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. It's it's not hugely gory. It, it cuts away really when like it's about to get really gory and really really bloody, but it still has that same effect to it, and that I think is the most disturbing part about that movie is the fact that you know you you're thrown into the thick of it and you're felt. You feel like you don't feel like um, you're watching this from the outside perspective. You feel, um, for the most part, up until that point, that you're kind of with um, the perspective of the teenagers until that last sequence, and then you're you're from the perspective of the fascists. Mm. And that's, I think, the most disturbing part. Yeah, I, I would say that final sequence is probably objectively the most disturbing part of the movie. However. Yeah. The way sex is portrayed in Salo, mm-hmm. I find very sickening, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. You watch that movie, and it's hard to look at sex in a positive way afterwards because it is so just disgusting and horrible and perverted. And that is is the point yeah that is the point to it being portrayed in that way um it's 
you know, obviously to show the the perversion of the fascists. I mean, obviously, like, what's interesting is that, um, slight spoiler for those that haven't seen Salo, and, well, maybe after this you may not want to see Salo, and, you know, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have to. Um, there, in almost every sequence of Salo, um, there, uh, once they get to the compound, there's this woman that comes in and she recites the story from her life. Yeah. And then the fascists then usually choose to try to reenact that story mm-hmm. to the most extreme that they possibly can. And with no uh, real uh, sense of restraint uh, on their end. And it's one of the more disturbing parts of the movie because of that and you know um you have these teenagers that are subjected to those experiences and um what's also even i would say even more disturbing is that you have if i remember right a couple of the teenage boys that end up joining the fascists yeah they end up kind of siding with them toward the end of the movie they end up kind of and they're, they're the ones that if i remember right, actually end up they end up surviving because of that yeah it's it's actually a little bit confusing as a viewer to be honest yeah i mean i I think it really just kind of goes to show that that level of depravity isn't just um in the fascists it it can it can exist in anyone yeah um it it obviously doesn't exist in everyone but it it can exist in anyone and and then they may not even know it until they are exposed to it and then once they, the way I looked at it is that once they were, once they were exposed to it, um, it kind of awakened that um, curiosity and that, um, I guess, sense of desire in them. And then, you know, obviously they're in this situation where they can uh, potentially, if they wanted to, um, kind of pursue that curiosity. And which is why I think they end up joining with them at the end of the movie. It's almost um, playing into the idea that everybody is to blame equally. Everybody has has a part. Has a part. Yeah, everybody has a part to play. I think that was probably some kind of metaphor for fascism because I know he was very much fighting Mm -hmm. what was going on in Italy at the time. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of... um, there's a lot of metaphors in that movie. That is one of them. Um, I heard, um, I never looked at it in this standpoint, but then again, I didn't really want to look at this sequence in, in this standpoint. The whole uh, circle of shit sequence yeah. is kind of, I've heard argument that it's actually a metaphor for consumerism and yeah, capitalism. Yeah. And yeah, I, after watching Pasolini last night, mm-hmm. Um, which I can talk about in a second. I, I, I see Sallow a bit differently. Okay. Um, and I don't know if I if if that's... I can't say at the, at the moment that it's a more positive or negative way. It's just different. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely see the more satirical and metaphorical side. It okay. definitely it seems more satirical and metaphorical than than literal. Now now that I have seen Sallow or seen Pasolini. Um, and it seems... 
like it was inspired by many things, fascism under Mussolini being one. Mm-hmm. But how real do you think this thing is, or does it even really matter? Like, do you think these things actually happened? Because from what I understood before Pasolini was that it was, like, loosely based on things that were actually happening. And while I do believe these things have happened, Mm -hmm. it almost seems as though it wasn't supposed to be a literal um, representation. Mm -hmm. More so some kind of subtle message about fascism and maybe what power does. So my, my question is, do you think... Do you think that really makes a difference? Um, I think yes and no. Um, Salo was um, kind of loosely based off of um, a, I guess technically a novella um, called 100, "120 Days of Sodom," which is the other. You know, half the yeah. half the title to Salo. I heard I heard yesterday that it was also inspired by Dante's Inferno, also a little bit. Um, I I can see that a little bit. I mean, obviously, you know, through the the sequences, you know, could potentially represent the the circles of hell that that these teenagers are then, uh, you know, subjected to, much like how um, Virgil uh, guides Dante through the uh, the nine the nine circles of hell in Dante's Inferno. Okay. Um, but 120 Days of Sodom was written uh, by a man known as the Marquis de Sade. And Marquis de Sade um, was a very, very uh, disturbed man. Okay. Um, you know the term sadist? Sadism? Yeah. Descri- but can you can you define it for me? Um, or try to? <laughs> I c- or I could look it up. Yeah, I was going to say, like, um, I can give you my understanding of it. But sadism? Yeah, sadism. Um Usually, from what I understood of it, it usually ah. is tied to sexual depravity. Right. Okay. Yeah. the The tendency of tendency to derive pleasure, especially sexual gratification, from inflicting pain, suffering, or human or humiliation on others. That sounds like a salo salo to yeah. me. Yeah. Um, we got that term. That term uh, comes from the Marquis de Sade. Right. Um, I I did read that. Yeah. He was a very um, uh, sexually sadistic man. Oh, so in real life he was. Yeah, yeah. He, he, oh, okay. This, this was a real guy who who had done some very. Um, and then he wrote the, the disturbing book. things. Okay. Wow. I, I don't think I don't know if there was any like, um, not to hugely the extent of Sallow, um, but when he was imprisoned, he he wrote the Under Twenty Days of Sodom. Wow. And. Um, if I remember correctly, I think Pasolini was trying to adapt it, but then he he kind of loosely adapted it and combined it with the stuff that um, was going on in Italy, yeah. and you know obviously his views on fascism and consumerism, capitalism, and all these other things that happened in Salo. I'm trying to be as vague as possible for oh, those okay. that haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah. And to answer your question. Um, I think it does matter, the, the yes part of it, because there's the potential that that stuff could happen and could still be happening. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's you know, there's only so much that we know that pe- people can know that happened behind closed doors. You know, in people's lives, and you know, you give enough people. Um, and of power and wealth and you know yeah 
you know, I, unlimited kind of rest, uh, non-restraint, you know, you could yeah. see something like that happen. For some reason, I had this idea in my mind um, that Sallow was directly influenced by something, like mm-hmm. things that were happening in Italy under fascism, like specifically these are things that happen behind closed doors that people knew about and he made a film and that's why you know later Mm -hmm. he was murdered for it um and that still could be the case yeah that could still be but i think there was a it was it was a strange realization when i realized okay maybe it's not a directly influenced Mm -hmm. however these things i still want 100 believe have happened mm-hmm. will happen and probably are happening right now and yeah. I think people are absolutely capable of, of these types of things um, horrible things mm-hmm. um, so I guess I guess um, it was kind of like I had to like let that go well okay well it's still inspired yeah by evil mm-hmm. regardless of you know whether it was a direct event that he was aware of um i'm not really making any sense i'm sorry no no i i I think i'm getting what you're going at um and that's also one of the i think one of the important parts of the uh some of the the kids turning toward the fascists um is showing the level of of um uh evil and the level of I, I would say, um, I, I don't know if I would say atrocities, but the level of depravity that people are capable of given the right set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, not to tie back <laughs> to um, uh, what we were talking about before, but um, in The Dark Knight, there, there's a quote that the Joker says, which I think is actually kind of could fit Sallow and the, from that standpoint, and that is that um, you're only as good as the world allows you to be. Okay, and you know, obviously, you know, these people have been—they're put into this very extreme situation, and you know, um, potentially to you know end up surviving it, you're going to be forced to potentially do some really disturbing things, and to be a part of willingly participate in some really um, disturbing things that are among the worst things that could be done to another human being i see and um the i think the most disturbing part about it is the fact that they're also enjoying it they're enjoying inflicting that that trauma and that pain and and that level of destruction on, on other people and that's also you know one of the explorations of sallow and um I guess fits other films that Pasolini was making, um, you know, him very much exploring the human condition. Um, I feel like I'm very much veering off into like a whole other don't worry about it land here, but um, his whole trilogy of life films that are kind of an, an examination of the human condition and and Salo, I, I guess could be kind of a a cousin to that or a mm-hmm. kind of a. A, a spin-off of that because it is an examination of the human condition but of the worst kind of people hmm so, yeah. yeah so watching 
Pasolini, mm-hmm. the movie about the last what hours or or life or I think it's like days. Isn't it supposed to be like the last like week of his life? Yeah, or something yeah. Like that? I mean, um, I I can't speak to it. Um, you know, out of the two of us, you're the only one I haven't seen Pasolini. Yet, yeah. So. Um, it was a strange watch. Um, hmm. It really um, left me with a kind of a bad taste in my mouth. Um, okay. It was not what I expected. Okay. It's strange, especially having seen Salo, be- Salo because, um, you know, looking into his life a little bit after the movie, because there were some things that were rubbing me the wrong way a little bit. I guess the man doesn't, he wasn't a perfect person, which, like, nobody was. Yeah. But he's kind of a bit of a perv. Um, okay. He was accused of some some uh, sexual crimes involving underage boys many times. Oh. He was always acquitted. You know, there there's some people who believe that because he was homosexual at the time, mm-hmm. there was um, unfair accusations. Okay. Um, but it, it seemed to happen a lot. And in the movie, it portrays him with a 17-year-old prostitute mm-hmm. that he was... Um, that was the the person who was um, accused of murdering him, who later actually confessed to um, there being some shady individuals also involved. Um, but yeah, he's portrayed to be with a underage prostitute at the end of the film, and uh, some sexual acts occur. Okay. And it is it is strange because it was weird because I looked at Salo as almost this heroic film. And then seeing the man do some kind of nasty stuff okay. felt um, conflicting. Okay. So, and, and and I know Pasolini was a, he was a um, critic of moralists, whatever mm. that means. But I still consider that to be wrong. Being with an underage, underage child, gay, straight, boy or girl doesn't really matter. I consider that to be wrong. Um, mm-hmm. So he he definitely wasn't a perfect person, um, and and it took me a bit to really come to the realization that it doesn't change Sallow. Um, I I worried that maybe the metaphors could be perceived differently, knowing the man behind the curtain. Um, and what he, some of the things that he did in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe, maybe it takes, maybe it takes, you know, you said the author of the book was very, very, very messed up, right? Yeah. So maybe it takes really, really messed up people to understand really, really messed up people. I mean, it could. I mean, you know, there's that old saying, um, um, a very, very old saying, like, you know, you stare into the abyss long enough and the abyss will stare back. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's verbatim, but I, I think that's the, uh, the general idea of it. And, um, you know, both of those, uh, both Salah, I haven't read the 120 Days of Sodom because frankly, I don't really want to. Yeah. Um. Knowing what the movie's I, enough. The movie's enough. The, the movie really is enough. Um, 
it's it, it's very dark. It is a very dark film, and it deals with some very heavy themes and, and very dark subject matter. Mm-hmm. And you know, you've got to be if you're going to be examining and exploring those type of things, I, I think there's really no way that you can kind of um, begin that process of doing that without emerging un- unscathed. I, I well, really don't think that that's... I think um, perhaps he was already a bit of a weird guy. Mm-hmm. So m- maybe... Let me ask you this. Do you think a normal person, your average guy, mm-hmm. could make Sallow? You know, somebody that doesn't understand, truly understand sadism or depravity? I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, not, that's, not, to that's say, a good question. not to say Pasolini was a horrible person, yeah. but he was at least a bit of a pedophile. So. Well, so. you know, I... It's possible. I mean, I to be honest, uh, as the man himself, I really don't know much. About, I understand, about yeah. And I and to be fair, I'm still looking into it. So I mean, if I if I'm if I'm misstepping here, and anybody who knows a lot about Pasolini, feel free to educate me. But you know, yeah. Um, this is all based on one night of research. <laughs> um, you know, that, that's honestly a good question. I I, I don't know if just you know average you know joe six pack on the street could make something like this and especially to you know the level that salo goes um i think you'd have to already have some exposure to at least some of the themes that's being explored in salo um granted i've only seen two films of of pasolini but i can tell you um there was never really a, a, a filmmaker like Pasolini. Mm-hmm. He, 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 it was a different breed on, onto him, his own. And, you know, I don't really, I don't know much about uh, Italian cinema. I'm, I'm still kind of getting into Italian cinema. But. We're off to a great start. That's <laughs> <laughs> Sallow. Yeah. yeah, we are. I mean, we're kind of diving really head, head first. first. I mean, like, outside of this, um, and, you know, like I said, um, his his other film, which I cannot remember the title for the life of me, but I mm. know it was it was a part of the, the trilogy of life. Um, the only other really films I had seen from it were uh, from like a- Italian uh, cinema was pretty much um, spaghetti westerns, and yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, does it take somebody with a certain kind of darkness? to make a film like this maybe I don't know I really honestly don't know but then again you know the same question could be asked like if you're making like um, a film about a serial killer like um, what's that one with uh, Zac Efron where he played Ted Bundy oh um is it like horribly wicked fucking is it truly vile whatever the it, it, it's the quote that, that the judge says to him right when he's getting sentenced I know that it's like Wickedly like, vile, I shockingly like, I think it's like evil. Extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. I think yeah. it's, is, that, is that what it Extremely is? wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. Beautiful. You got it. Okay. Good. Yeah, that's um, a that's a great quote from 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 that. Yeah. From that. Watch um, that. Uh, watch that Ted Bundy miniseries. It is. Uh, oh, the Ted Bundy tapes. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, my god. The it's, it's so much better than the the Zac Efron movie. And it's made by the same person. Yeah. And I don't understand like the well, the, the fucking documentary is incredible. Well, also, you know, I think the difference with that is, you know, obviously, you know, you you're hearing the words and the testimony from people that were involved in the cases. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're all you're, you know, shockingly enough, you're obviously being told from like a third person standpoint, um hearing the words from Bundy himself. Yeah. And, but going back on point to what I was saying, like, does it take that same kind of um, capacity for evil and that, uh, like I said, a certain kind of darkness to make a film like that? Or to make, um, I, I, I think there was another one called My Friend Dahmer. Oh. Where, where it's about yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer in, like, his high school years. Um, does it take a certain kind of person with a certain exposure to you know, the worst of humanity. And I, I keep bringing up this term. Uh, I've said it now, I think, almost three times, but I'm just, for lack of a better term, a certain kind of darkness to make a film like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, I honestly don't know. Maybe. Yeah, um maybe. You know, it's not... They're not easy films to look at. They're not easy films to really... You know, you don't... You don't really sit down on a Friday night and just be like, oh, okay, what am I going to watch tonight? Oh, you know, you, you got a bowl of popcorn, you got a pizza or whatever, and, and you don't just sit down and put on sallow. Um, if you do, you, you might want to see a therapist. Um, you know, they're very heavy films, and, you know, it's... They're films that are going to make you think, and, you know, what's... I guess tying it all together, really. Um, it's. I mean, does it say something about somebody's um, subconscious, you know, to make a film like that, to want to go and make a film like that? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I'm. I don't know if I'm the authority to really talk about that. You know, I. I'm right. not a. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not. I have no real. Uh, I have probably a layman's understanding. Um, hey, I'm of just psycho- I'm just a psychology. I'm asking you because you're less of an idiot than I am. So, thought maybe you uh, could have something I don't. Um, and you do, you do. You're already you're teaching me a lot. Really? Yeah. No. The reason why I mean, like, I feel like a this this helps me have like greater appreciation for, and you know, I, I'm 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 asking questions that I genuinely like mm-hmm. want to know the answer to because yeah. I struggle with I I. Watching Pasolini last night, um, connecting it with Salo was kind of a struggle for me, and and really, and I'm continuing to understand it. But I, 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 I think coming to the realization that maybe it does, it maybe it does require sometimes um, darker people to make darker art. Mm-hmm. Maybe that is necessary. Um, What's interesting also about film, and I think really any creative medium, um, be it painting, um, novels, comic books even serialized podcasts or serialized radio dramas um really anybody that creates is um it's a study in usually it's it's a study in the form of humanity um it's it could potentially be a window into that person's psychology into their mental conscious and subconscious makeup um so when you see films like this and when you see films like 
like my friend Dahmer or um, shocking, uh, extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile, and you know, and these other disturbing films. Um, it's it's interesting to really dive into those because, you know, it kind of makes you want to understand um, the psychology of of these people. A little bit. Absolutely. I mean, and you know, I guess not to tie into you know what we were talking about earlier. And you know, one of the more interesting parts about um, the sidetrack for a second, um, the idea of of the Batman is that you know they've said from the beginning, this is a film that is going to look at the psychology of Bruce Wayne. You know, what makes a man? I mean, okay, let's just <laughs> let's let, as long as we're on this topic here, mm-hmm. let's just let's break Batman down to his his base essence. Okay. You have a guy who goes out in the middle of the night dressed as a bat. I dig it. And beats the ever-living shit out of people. Mm-hmm. What makes that guy tick? Well, honestly, what what makes... That's, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's complex. And, you know, what makes somebody want to go and make this? What makes somebody want to go and make My Friend Dahmer? What makes somebody want to go and make um, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile? And, you know, these examinations into the darkest parts of humanity and, and to the, the darkest things that humanity is capable of. Hmm. You know, um, I want to know more about those people because, you know, what makes them want to go, you know, dive headfirst into that pool and just, you know, kind of look around and see what's there? And, you know, I don't know what that says about that person psychologically, but it's definitely an interesting thing. Do they have a connection to that kind of darkness? Do they have that darkness within themselves and they're using that medium as a way to channel it and not allow it to grow and to fester and to become this, you know, this brutal and ugly Mm -hmm. and disturbing thing? I don't know. I really don't know. I am reminded of a quote from a film I recently watched, Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. And the quote is from Marlon Brando's character. And it goes like this. Horror. Horror has a face. And you must make a friend of horror. Horror and moral terror are your friends. And if they are not, then they are enemies to be feared. Beautiful. And the thing I love about that quote is not only is it beautiful, but it's very flawed. It's very flawed, but also from a from a certain point of view, potentially very true. Yes. And I love quotes like that that make so much sense, but also you you can look at and actually see that they're wrong at the end of the day. Yeah, I um, mean... So, I don't know. You know, and that's also a whole other can of worms, you know, like the, the character of, of Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now is a whole other can of worms in and of himself. I mean, you know, that quote, you know... <laughs> Only you could have finished that. I don't know. I've n- <laughs> Of course you could finish <laughs> that quote. That just made me laugh. I'm sorry. That was great. Um, well, I, I love Apocalypse Now. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a, it's kind of a, it's a disturbing quote because yeah. it's essentially saying that like okay, 
you got to be willing to do some of the worst things imaginable. That's essentially what that quote is saying. You know, like horror has a face, and you must make a friend of horror. Horror and moral terrors are your friends, mm-hmm. and if they are not, they are enemies to be feared. And you know, it it kind of ties into Kurtz's philosophy, really. I mean, Kurtz, you know, it was in the film is somebody that you know has been severely traumatized by what he experienced and what he saw in the Vietnam War and has kind of gone on this um, crusade of his own and has completely went AWOL and, you know, he, he views himself almost as a god to the Vietnamese people you know, to those to his followers I guess quote unquote followers and it is a um, it's a disturbing idea that you know like okay in order to be put into this extreme situation and in and, and these circumstances you've got to be willing to embrace that animalistic part of you. You gotta be willing to embrace the capacity of evil that you are capable of doing. Because if you're not, somebody else is gonna do it. Yeah. And then you're gonna be in trouble. Well, one thing that I loved about Apocalypse Now, um, mm-hmm. to keep it short, because we don't want to go on about it. That's so that, that, again, Home of the Can of Worms. Can of worms. Yeah. Um, it's almost as though to survive in such an environment, you have to put your heart second. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this part where Robert Duvall's character, um, there's a Viet Cong, Viet Vietnamese um, soldier, like a Viet Cong um, mm-hmm. guy on the ground, and he's injured, yeah. and they, the, they're the trying whole, they're, the, the canteen, the thing, canteen yeah. thing, and he's um, he's gonna he's pissed off that they're not giving him water. And he's like, any man who uh, fights with his guts out can drink from my canteen yeah, or whatever. Any day. Brings but, his canteen out, about to give him water, and you're like, wow, this is I did not expect this this badass motherfucker to like walk up there and be that be that like be that cool. But then, and the, then second, he, the second they bring up surfing, second he they bring up surfing, he gets distracted. Yep, he's he's, he's got he's got something he wants to he wants, he wants to do. He wants to so do, yeah. for that moment in time, there's nothing in the way. He's like letting himself be human for a moment, yeah. And then, the second there's something else, his heart comes second always, mm-hmm. in, in in war, and and I thought that was like a very good representation of of the movie itself. There's glimmers of hope and of humanity, humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to survive, is that is that a uh, essentially, a, um, not to cut you off, but is that that thing that you know most people are, I think, are usually tapping into on a day to day basis? You know, their their heart and their humanity. Is that a? Um, I guess, for lack of a better term, I ha- had a better term, but I lost it. A, a in an extreme setting like war is is that a disability? Mm-hmm. Is that a um, something? that is going to hinder your chances of survival. Right. Um, and I and I think that that connects with the uh, teenagers who you see flip in Sallow. Yeah. And, I mean, you look at their actions, and it's like, well, they survived. What did they do right? Well... Or what did they do wrong? What did they do wrong? Well, they... they 
they clearly put their heart second to survive. Mm-hmm. But maybe, maybe, um, you know, just because you survive doesn't mean you did anything right. Well, let, let me also put it to you like this. And if you need me to explain, I will explain. Okay. Just because you survived doesn't mean you survived. Yeah. I get you. Um, Just because they survived that um, experience and, you know, they ended up, you know, living to the end doesn't mean now that, you know, they don't have to live what they've experienced and live what they did for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. They have to, they have to kind of. That is probably going to weigh on them for however long that they live. You gotta kill your heart to keep your body alive. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, you know, it's a whole other can of worms. Because at that point, you know, you gotta ask yourself: Is it even worth it to survive? Because uh, yeah, and I and I would argue it's it's not. If you look at Sallow and that ending, yeah, I mean, I would say probably not because you know the the level of psychological damage that is there probably can't be undone yeah and you know that could also be explored in, in apocalypse now you know um you have these characters that you know have um i, I guess they're kind of the heart and soul of the movie you know characters like lance and clean and chef mm-hmm. um spoilers for apocalypse now just putting that out there right now um all of those characters with the exception of one die right and Lance is you know severely traumatized by the end of the movie I mean you you can just see it you know when when um what's his name um Martin Sheen's character in the movie Willard Willard yeah when Willard um, brings him back to the boat, and you know they're leaving Kurtz's compound. He's 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 dead inside. He's just got that thousand yard stare going. He's there, there's the Lance that we met at the beginning of the movie. You know this bright, hopeful kid that you know probably just graduated high school or was about to go into college and loves surfing. He's not in there anymore. It also it could have been the acid. It could have been the acid. It, it, it could have been both. It's tripping balls, but he's also traumatized. But he's also yeah. But then again, also Willard is severely traumatized too, and that's kind of, mm-hmm. you know him and Kurtz are very similar, and that's I think that's kind of why the reason they appoint Willard to go and you know eliminate Kurtz, yeah, is because of that. Is you know there's not a whole lot of things that Willard isn't willing to do. It takes a a messed up guy to face evil. Yeah, it, it kind of takes um, it takes a certain kind of evil to destroy another certain kind of evil, I guess. Yeah. So to to end on this, mm-hmm. and um, let me let me let me be clear here. Okay. Um, we only got through half of the shit that I wanted to talk about. Oh God. But I, I'm that's <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, that's a good thing because the fact that we went as long as we did on like three or four questions means this is a great conversation yeah so um 
we're gonna have a part two very soon if you're out for work i'm i'm very down for that sir i have so much left but uh to end on this do you think sallow is at the end of the day about power what is the main takeaway for you like if you could summarize a general thesis um i i think it could have to do with power but from my standpoint is sallow has to do from two standpoints um for those that you know the teenager standpoint the total annihilation of innocence because you know the ones that you know that don't end up turning you know they're they're very normal okay i guess i you know people and the ones that do that aren't the fascists uh, from their standpoint, it, it is the, I guess, the total annihilation of one's soul. And what do you do? How do you react? How does it change you when you are faced with inexplicable, unreasonable evil? And how do you respond? How do you respond to it? Do you respond to it? Right. Um, I think that could be one of the, uh, I guess, the uh, the mission statements, if you will, of, of Sallow. Could be that. Do you f- fight the evil and succumb to it at the end of the day? Or, or do you befriend it, you know? Actually, you know, I, I would argue the third option. Third option. Remember that at the beginning of the movie where... Um, there's that one kid um, when they're when they're trucking them to the compound, right? And he jumps off the truck, and he, he tries to make a run for it. Yes. And they they shoot him down. Yes. He had the right idea. He's the bravest person in the movie. He's the smartest one too. Even and he dies first. He he dies first, but also like compared to everything else that happens. Oh fuck yeah. He he got off easy. I agree. He, I, I he that got was. Off easy. You're right. You're right. I think I think death is the. Um, is the uh, best option in that scenario, personally. And that, that, if there really, truly is no way out, other than you know, like, okay, just you know, jumping into bed with the enemy, or the the, the people that are going to um, submit that kind of uh, evil mm-hmm. to people, then yeah, that probably is the better outcome. You know, because at least you know he. Yeah, that he ended up dying, but that kid ended up dying as himself. He ended up dying without being corrupted, without that level of trauma. Mm-hmm. He, without letting evil become a part of him, or letting evil destroy him. destroy him. Yeah, yeah. He he he, um, he had the right idea. Wow. And who knows? Maybe if if they all decided in unison to make a break for it, mm-hmm. yeah. Some of them probably wouldn't have made it, but some of them probably would have. Yeah. Well, I think... But, unfortunately, that's that's not how the movie played out. I think the main takeaway from this conversation is the, uh, the, the enormous surprise I have of the fact that we really did not talk about poop at all. Um, I, I, I'm going to be honest here. I was, I was very conscientious of trying to steer the conversation away from away that from sequence. Away the, from the poop. From, from the circle of shit sequence, yeah. yeah. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, if it's between eating shit mm. and getting shot in the back, 
shoot me as many times as you want. Alright, well, I hope you, um, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Um, what, what, did, what did you take away from it? Did you, um, did you learn anything? Or do you think we're both dumbasses? Let me know. Let us both know in the comments. I'd love to, love to know. Um, got pretty deep there. I haven't seen it all the way through yet, but, I mean, right now it might, it might be my best podcast I've ever been a part of. That was a great episode. Um, I love talking with Zach always. Um, let me know what you thought of it. Um, and yeah, like I said, I have way more questions, so we're gonna be doing a part two. Um, I don't really think we're gonna be talking about Sallow anymore, thank God, but, um, but I have a lot more questions. I, I kind of planned on the episode being more so about history and atrocities and where fact meets fiction and, uh, historical movies and, and such, and we never got to that point, so it kind of, uh, because we kind of lingered on certain things, it kind of, the episode developed new themes that I hadn't even really thought of yet, so that's fun. That's, I feel like that's how you know a conversation went really well, when it's, um, just, just take what you had and you improvise and you go off on tangents and, and it still ends up being very interesting. So, uh, we're gonna have Zach on again soon. Um, I'm not really sure who the next guest is gonna be yet. Maybe it will be Zach, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for what the future holds. I hope you enjoyed. Please ask questions in the comments if you want to start up a Q&A section, because I would like to do it, but if nobody cares, then we don't have to do it. Um, but if you have any questions, filmmaking-related, film-related, I mean, literally anything, just if, how many poops have I had in the month, I, I can try to come up with an answer. Just whatever you want to ask, ask, and we can start a fun Q&A section. Um, yeah. And a podcast recommendation. We already recommended a movie um, this episode, um, See You Soon by Doomed Productions, and now I have a podcast recommendation, not by somebody obscure, but the person I find myself listening to the most podcast-wise on YouTube is a guy named Lex Friedman, who has about a million subscribers, so there's a chance you know who he is. I mean, I'm just a small guy, but um, I'll shout him out anyway, because I really like his his podcasts. Um, I kind of I feel like a lot of his fan base treats him as kind of like the new Rogan of YouTube, and I would agree. I would definitely agree with with that statement. Um, I listen to his shit all the time. Specifically, my favorite is um, his his um, episodes with uh, Michael Malice, and he's done multiple um, podcasts with Michael Malice, and it's they have great chemistry. And they're they're it it's very much so a yin and yang type situation. They're very different personality wise, and because of that, they just they just get along seamlessly, and I love it. I love seeing them converse, and they talk a lot about history and and uh, war and stuff, so, I mean, if you enjoyed this, this conversation, you'll probably enjoy listening to them talk, so I would definitely go recommend him, I would definitely go watch him, that's my recommendation for, for this episode, Lex Friedman, specifically his Michael Malice episodes, um, yeah, and if you like Joe Rogan, and you're missing him being on YouTube, check out Lex Friedman, because I think, uh, I think he'll fill, f fill that void for you, he did for me, for sure, um, but yeah, that's, that's the recommendation, and, um, that's pretty much it. I mean, it's tough to figure out what to do with this section of the podcast, um, but I guess if I had, I guess I could just speak what's on my mind right now, just for the fuck of it. Just kind of kill a couple more minutes. Um, like I kind of was saying earlier in the episode, um, it's kind of a busy time for me right now. There's a lot going on. Mostly good things, I would say. Um, but 
one thing that's been prevalent in my life, especially the last couple days, um, is, uh, you know, life choices and, uh, life choices that maybe other people won't like. Um, and I guess if I had one piece of advice or one thing that I would want, maybe somebody out there listening to this to take away who needs to hear this, you never know. Um, and keep in mind when I talk like this, it's mainly just reminding myself, you know, um, but maybe somebody out there needs to hear this and maybe we can expand on this later or in the comment section or something. But I feel like, um, in a world where I feel as though selflessness is put on a pedestal, don't forget to do what's best for you. Um, I think there's a difference between doing what is right for you than, and being selfish. And I think maybe those two can be conflated sometimes, unfortunately, um, is conflated even the right word to use? This is why I'm doing this podcast, because I gotta expand my fucking vocabulary. I, I hate using words, and I'm like, is that how you use that word? Because trust me, in the past, man, I've just used words that didn't apply to, it didn't apply correctly, and I just fucking use them for years, and I just look like an ass asshole. But um, yeah, so like I said, just just been learning these last couple days to do what's best for me, regardless of whether or not it's going to make somebody else mad. Sometimes you got to put yourself first. Um, sometimes you do. And uh, I think that's a tough pill to swallow for some people, especially people who consider themselves to be extraordinarily selfless. Um, so don't forget to do what's best for you. You're not going to please everybody, unfortunately. You know, it's, it's when you, there's a time where every person I feel as though learns not everybody's going to like you, um, and accepting that is kind of a beautiful thing, because then you don't really worry about it, um, but, uh, I, I don't, I don't know where he got this, he might have stole it from somewhere, because he's, Kyle, Kyle is good at stealing Louis C.K. jokes, so maybe he stole this from a Louis, from a Louis, probably a Louis episode, because it's actually pretty deep, so, my friend Kyle Roy said something very brilliant the other day, and I've just been, like, thinking about it a lot, and I kind of turned it into my own thing, and, uh, he probably stole it from an episode of Louie, that son of a bitch, but, uh, I'll credit Kyle anyway. Something to the extent of, like, you know, I'd rather be liked, no, I'd rather be loved by a select few people than, than, wait, I'd rather be loved by a select few people, fuck me, alright, here we go, I'd rather be loved by a select amount of people than, than liked by a bunch of people. And I've been thinking about that a lot and I realized, yeah, I mean, I would rather be loved by five people than liked by 50. And, um, and that comes from just fear of upsetting people and being disliked because, you know, you got to do what's right for you, you know, and you're not gonna, not everybody's gonna like you, you know, not everybody's gonna like you, but if you work on your close personal relationships you prioritize those. That's what's important, you know? Find people who you love and who love you back and that you can really trust. And if you if you pay enough attention, you know you know who those people are. And you can separate the wheat the weed the wheat from the chaff, I think is how the the biblical saying goes. And um uh, yeah, and I, I feel confident that I'm that I'm finding those people um, right now. Um, I it feels good to um, it feels good to to love to love my friends, and it feels good to be loved by them. 
and um, and you really you know what that looks like when you see it, and especially when you haven't felt that in a long time. And it takes work, you know. It takes work. You have to put love in to get love back. And I'm learning that the hard way. Um, I'm learning that the hard way. So this has been a Clift therapy session. All right. Much love, everybody. Thank you for watching. Um, sorry that was so fucking muddled. I hope you enjoyed this. I don't know. This this is a when I said this podcast is a crazy contradiction of a lot of different things. Oh, you fucking. I hope you. I hope you realize that to be true this episode because we talked about fucking superheroes, uh, fascism, and um, we had a therapy session at the very end. So have a good one, everybody. Much love. Wish me luck on my proposal and my short film. Um, Again, if this is in the video, I'm sure it all went well. So, but just maybe, just maybe that tsunami will come. We'll see. What do we do? Now let me see your war face! Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Are you gonna pull those pistols or whistle Dixie? Wait here for a little while. See what happens. <laughs>